Thank you for tuning in to Detail Memoirs. This episode is brought to you by Rotafest and Zenware. Rotafest is the most powerful mobile invoicing software designed for auto detailers and recon professionals on the market today. More than just a mobile invoicing app, it gives you a complete suite of tools to manage your business. Yes, it has a mobile app designed for the iPhone and Android to decode the VIN and create an invoice in the field. But it also includes integration with QuickBooks, customer management tools, text and email reminders, reports, and now inventory management is included in this powerful suite of tools. Learn more about Rotafest at rotafest.com. Yo, yo, hey. good day, and welcome to another episode of Rotafest Detail Memoirs. Take two. Take two. <laughs> Had a few technical difficulties this morning, but we seem to be working through them, and I think the only thing that will help after this is a little bit of order of tacos. That's right. Cinco de Mayo taco day. Cinco de Mayo. So, so today we have our guest all the way from across the pond, Richard Hutchins from Leather Repair Company. And uh, we have gotten to know Richard personally, his lovely wife, and seen what they do. And uh, Richard, how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm good. How are you guys? We're you doing know what? Great. We're doing good. We're juggling the chaos, but that's, yeah. uh, I think that's uh, the story of a small business owner, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. So jump right into you and how this got started. And then, uh, you know, how, cause you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very long time. So, so let, let's talk about how you got started because you kind of have, a fun story just getting into automotive, but then mm. also creating leather repair company as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it all began um, quite some – I'm 53 now, so it all began began roughly when I was sort of like 12, 13 years old. Um, my father was a landscape gardener, and I used to go and help him um, doing some jobs, and I was the one that was always pulling up the plants and leaving the weeds behind. I couldn't tell a plant from a weed. <laughs> so my dad always knew that I was never cut out to be a gardener, even though I've tried to have a gardening business and it just didn't work out. We just, no, we didn't go there. Um, <laughs> so, and then this guy that owned, they owned a lot of property in London. They used to own, the family used to own like nine tenths of Knightsbridge in London and things like that. And they were quite a wealthy family, obviously, with owning that sort of property. And there was these cars, these big American Cadillacs and Lincolns, Buicks and big 6.9 litre Mercs coming down the driveway to this house where I used to go and help my dad and clear up all the weeds and stuff like that um, and the leaves. And I kept thinking, you know, who owns all these cars? And the the major um, who owned the estate just turned around to me one day and said, that's my son. Don't get involved with him. He's a ruthless, unruly child. <laughs> I just don't know why I've invited him back into our life again. Um, he's living in the servants' quarters. He's, he's nothing but bloody trouble. Don't get involved with him. And you sort of, when you get told that, you almost think, why don't you want to get involved with him? Something is, I'm not being told the full story here. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's all these cars. And I mean, like a 12 year old kid, you know, went, went back in the early 80s. I mean, this was, so you'd never seen these things before. I mean, we're used to like little tiny cars here in England, and we'd never seen anything like this. So one day I decided I'm going to, I'm going to stop and find out who this is and, um, you know, see if I can get a ride in one of these vehicles. So I literally stood in the middle of the drive, stopped the car. He was blowing his horn, shouting at me, get out of the road, boy. And eventually I walked up to the window, bearing in mind I'm about five foot three now, and I was probably only about three foot then when I was 12 years old. Um, <laughs> almost like climbing up the side of the car to get into the window to say, hello, who are you? 
this little sort of kid's voice, hello, how are you? Um, and um, eventually got speaking to this guy and he's like, do you want to ride in the car? So I said, I'd have to ask my dad. And my dad's like, of course you can. So I rode in the car one day down to the house and every now and then I'd get a chance to sort of get in the cars. And eventually, well, I was sort of a couple of years later, I was about 14 and the guy's family along with him were going to America to buy a load more cars. And they said, did you want to come to America? I said, I can't, I'm still at school. Um, I hate school, you know, I'm, <laughs> but I, you know, I couldn't think of anything better. You know, I was like sort of 14 years old. I, I want to go to America. So I decided that's it. I'm going to quit school and go to America. <laughs> I went into school one day and I said to the headmaster, to, to our head of school, and I said, I'm um, David Lee. I said, I'm leaving school. He's like, Hutchins, you can't do that, boy. You've got your education to think about. He said, you've got to finish your education and get your exams. I said, look, school's not cut out for me. I'm leaving. And I'm not, I'm not staying at school another day longer. I'm going. And he's like, you're going to end up in trouble. Within a month, you're going to be in prison. You're going to be nothing but a low life boy or the rest of your life. <laughs> no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Because I was always very entrepreneurial anyway. I mean, I've always had, even from when I was 10 years old, I've always had little businesses like kindling, getting firewood and selling them to local shops and old people to light their fires and things at home. So I've always been sort of very entrepreneurial. And I decided to leave school, went home, told my mum. My mum was like, burst into tears. You can't leave school, Richard. This is ridiculous. And <laughs> I'm like, well, I have. I've left school. I've quit. She's like, you can't do this. Why have you quit? I'm going to America. Oh, no, you're not. Well, of course, when you're younger, I don't know what it is in the States, but when you're younger, you have to get your parents' consent to go abroad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So until you're eight, you know, once you're 18, you don't have to. So I said to my dad, I want to go to America. And he's like, you're not cut out to be a gardener, son. So what is it you're doing in America? I said, well, it's with Richard's family. And Richard, we're going to go and look at buying cars. He's like, well, you don't get these opportunities very often. So go. So I said, mum won't let me go. So he's like, oh, okay. It's without your mum signing the document, you can't go. So I'm like, well, I'm going. I'll have to sign it myself. You know now. <laughs> so, so he's like, so there, there, there's me thinking, thinking about the headmaster said I'd be in prison, but in a month I'm thinking I'm holding <laughs> my mum's signature here. The reality is maybe coming through. Um, <laughs> He's already a forger. That's right. So then when I got out of prison, Jody, what happened is I'm really a forger already. So I'm, I'm thinking I've, I've got to get my mum's consent. I can't do this. Um, so I've got to get a blessing to do it. So eventually, she very reluctantly, in tears, agreed and signed the paper, and. I've never been home since. Uh, I, I walked out the door and I've, I've, I've obviously been back home, but I've never been back home to live ever since. So, yeah, that was and we went to America and we were just it was like the land of opportunity for us. I mean, we were meeting people from all walks of life. We were flying all over America to all the car auctions with crews. We, we were obviously at the Hera Museum um, when that sold with Bill Hera dying and obviously Holiday Inn buying it and obviously crews sold yeah. it off. We were there and Jer saw Jerry J. Moore. I've got the signed books of the Hera books with Jerry J. Moore paying six and a half million dollars for the Bugatti Royale. Um, you know, we, we, we met Jerry. We was in Jerry's penthouse. I was in Jerry's penthouse in the Hera Hotel and things and doing business with Jerry when I was like, this was like, I wasn't quite 15 then, you know, it was, I was turning 15 while I was in America. Um, and it was just the people we were meeting and, um, you know, John Frankenheimer, the director of the French, Conne you know, producer of the French Connection and so many other, fil you know, famous films, meeting him in, you know, in Burbank, in Hollywood and things. And, you know, being offered 
roles in films and I was just interested. I'm like, no, I'm going to cars. I want cars. And people are like meeting all these famous people, film stars. I had no idea who these people were because I was only young. And it wasn't like it is today. You know, obviously the internet today makes things very accessible for people. Yeah, yeah. So back then in the 80s, I mean, all we had was TV and radio. And I mean, when I was very young, my family couldn't afford a TV. You know, it was we weren't a wealthy family. So we didn't sort of have the access. We just had radio. So I was meeting all these people. And to me, they were just normal people like you and I on the street. And they were like, this is such a breeze in the park. You know, it's such, we're speaking to this cute little English man. And he's, he doesn't know who we are. And, he, you know, they're like asking me if I want their autograph. And I'm like, no, you're all right. And I'm thinking, these guys are freaks. They want them to, they, they want, they want them to ask if I want their signature. What, what's the matter with these people? <laughs> I just, you know, the opportunities that, I just, they were just normal people, you know, and that's what was so great, you know, and it's like Herb Brower that was the, you know, producer of the Munsters and things, you know, Carolyn and I were with him all the time in, you know, in Hollywood and, you know, meeting Herb and meeting all these famous people and Herbie Livingston, the big firework manufacturer, buying all these cars, you know, all these auctions just flying all over America from one state to the other, you know, and that obviously got me involved with the classic car side of it. And I was looking right. after all the cars for the guy and because he had a collection of 150 cars. Mm. So obviously he was buying cars all the time. And eventually he was like, you know, can you just sort the inside and the outsides out? So this was probably by then I was maybe 16. And that's when we really got into the inside of doing leather work because he was like, these has got, there's something wrong with this leather. It's got like, it's like dull, like the paintwork's dull. So, cause back then we didn't really know what it was. Right. Like you need to fix this. So I'm like, well, how can I fix it? I ain't got products to fix it. I can't, you know, so I'm thinking I'll put a bit of car polish on it and maybe it'll buff it up and revive the paint like it does paintwork, you know? Um, so we were trying anything and everything. And he's like, you can't put car wax on it it's for the paintwork. And I'm like, well, I'll try it. Um, it didn't work. So next trip to America, we, we found some companies doing, I can't remember who they were, but some companies doing leather care products and bought them and brought them back into England. And that's when it all began, when I was roughly about 16, getting involved in my first sort of proper repairs. Obviously, before that, I was in my family. We were a big family, um, five lads and one girl. Um, obviously, a couple of brothers in the army and things. So I was in charge of keeping all the shoes, proper proper old school <clears throat> spit and polish, you know, proper army shoes, spit and polish. Right. So I was in charge of all that from a young age, from sort of like eight or nine years old, spit and polishing all the shoes. So I've always been involved with leather in one way or another because um, nobody else in the family could shine shoes apparently like I could. So I was the one that was given the job. Now, whether it was because I was the youngest boy and all my brothers were picking on me, um, <laughs> I don't know. I seem to, I, 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 now I'm a bit older, I seem to think that that was maybe what was the reality. I was thinking, Richard can do this. So, yeah, so that got all palmed off onto me. And, and obviously, being Lisa being the only girl, it's like, no, 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 she's daddy's girl. So... Lisa gets protected. She can't do any of this sort of thing. So with five lads and one girl, um, she, she sort of got favoritism over other things, you know, over the lads. So, but we've always been very entrepreneurial with that sort of side of it, but that's how I got into the leather. So from there, it sort of grew. And back in 1988, we, the family had to, because I'd moved in with Richard, with his brother and his wife, and we'd moved into the house to save me traveling an hour or so backwards and forwards would work on a bus and train and things because I couldn't drive then. Um, I'd moved in to Richard with his wife and um, his brother and his wife. And we were in there in the house. And obviously he then sold the house. John, his brother, moved to Antigua, bought loads of boats to take Americans to deep sea diving and snorkeling and stuff. 
Um, and he moved there. So Richard had to get out of the property he was in and moved right the way to, to Yorkshire. I found this farm in Yorkshire up the road uh, from where I'm living now. And it was like a 230-mile drive. And we had to move 150 cars, 230 miles to this, big, to this huge pig farm that we'd found and bought. Um, the only problem we had was the, the pigs had obviously all gone, but it was the biggest pig farm in Europe. And one building, there was one building, it covered, I think it was six acres in size. Wow. And obviously it had all these slats inside, concrete slats. And underneath there was like a three foot drop and it was full of pig slurry. Mm, yummy. So before we could get the cars in, we had to get the slurry emptied. Oh, geez. So, yeah. So <laughs> That's nasty. Oh, yeah. That's very, very nasty because the farm had been empty for about six years. So it was very, very stinky, very, very smelly, very, very rotten. The farm closed down because they were dumping pigs underneath when they were dying, when they'd got diseases, instead of putting them out where they should be put out for DEFRA to come and pick them up, um, for the agencies to pick them up to inspect them for diseases. So the farmers started to help us to get all the slurry sucked out and put it in our lagoon that we had across the field. And every now and then the pipes would get stuck because obviously it was picking up a pig. Guess what? Muggins here had to get in all the pig slurry. And unblock the pipe. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Wow, you, you talk about uh, paying your dues in building that a business, is nasty. man. I mean, that is yeah. nasty. So, so I've got to tell I you, mean, I've heard of blood, sweat, and tears, but you <laughs> yeah. got blood, sweat, and pig pigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. I got I to tell you the story. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Richard, but my family originally is from Yorkshire. Mm. And there is a Pusey, they call it a mansion. I've heard it's not much of a mansion anymore. Okay. But uh, probably four generations ago, five generations ago, there were three brothers left yep. in Yorkshire, and they were drunkards and horse thieves. And so the English government said, you guys got two choices. You can either go anywhere else in the world but England, or you can go to prison. Hmm. So they took the mansion and the property, and then they sent the three brothers off. One went to Canada, one went to Africa, and one went to the United States, and that's where my family's from. Um, but yeah, we were actually kicked out of Yorkshire. So, oh, wow. so there you go. That's my big family story. It's been well, verified. You're welcome back anytime. So yeah, well, that's my wife. My kids are. I was like, you need to go back and find the Pusey Mansion and reclaim yeah. it. And I said, they'd probably charge me back taxes. So we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. Yeah, that'd be quite cool. They're going to see it. I must admit. Yeah, it would be kind of fun. So, yeah, so let's talk about the because obviously you've got a ton of experience in leather and yeah. and I meet I meet certain people all the time that I that I would say they're kind of nerds about their trade, right? Like uh, Jeff and Carolyn Hannon at the Rag Company, they're really nerdy about towels. They can microfiber, all the microfibers, and the amount of this, and the amount of that, and, and the weave, yeah. and the way that it flows. Yep. You know, um, um, Dave Phillips from PNS Detailing Products. Oh uber chemical i mean he can tell you the chemical compound and how much of this and that you're kind of the same way with leather you talk about the yeah. folds in the leather and the qualities yep. and the grain and so uh, kind of explain to people when it comes to leather that it's it's a different animal it's literally an animal but it's a different yeah. kind of thing than just a regular um product yeah def definitely i mean it's obviously it's completely natural it's biodegradable it is a byproduct of the food industry um at the end of the day and obviously leather isn't leather. Um, you know, once the skin is obviously taken off the animal, it's not leather at that point. It's called a pelt. Um, so obviously until it's gone through a couple of processes in the tanning, that's when it only becomes leather once it's gone through a couple of processes in the tanning. 
once it's obviously gone through those processes, obviously skins get split into varying layers. So if you've got something like um, a drop split, that becomes something like a suede because it's obviously the poorer part of the skin. So you've obviously got, you know, the corium and stuff like that, which is where obviously the suede and stuff like that come from. That's the poorest part, what we call the crap part of the skin, basically. So that becomes suede. Um, they turn it into suede. They sand it, obviously, on the top side to hide up imperfections because it can't be used for anything else. So that's where mm. suede and things like that come from. People think Nubuck and suede are very, very similar, very, very mistaken. Nubuck is from right at the top of the skin. So, like, if this was our outer layer, um, Nubuck is just below the outer layer of the skin. Things like um, aniline, which is a very good quality leather, is right from the top of the skin here because it's got our natural grain on the skin. So Nubuck is from beneath it because Nubuck comes from beneath it purely and simply because it's a very strong product because it's got a very, very tight collagen fiber because obviously leather is made of a collagen fiber, just like our skin's collagen fiber underneath our, our skin. So it's a collagen fiber network. And depending on how good those collagen fibers are, now if they're very, very loose like this, and they're very, very loose like that, it's going to be a very, very weak skin. If those collagen fibers are tight, you've got a very, very strong skin. Mm -hmm. Depending on where those skins come, those animals are from in the world would depend on how good that skin is and how good the husbandry is in, in obviously in the tannery, as well as how good it is in the in the field, so to speak, in the farms, looking after those animals. And the climate also plays a major role in that process as well. So mm -hmm. something like Italy, where people think Italian leather is the finest. Obviously, you've got things like marble and granite comes from places like Italy, um, Spain and stuff like that. There's only a couple, two or three places in the world where you can get good quality marble and granite from, you know, things like sort of Italy, Spain and sort of China and stuff like that. So there's very, very few places that you can get that from as well. Same thing with leather. From Italy, it's got the ultimate water with the ultimate air temperatures and qualities. So the skins mm. on the animals are absolutely perfect. It's why a lot of Italians are also bloody good looking. <laughs> and I'd move to Italy to see whether it would help. But no, I've just decided to put on face creams, like, well, leather cream, but it still doesn't give me any benefits. But, you know, that's by the by. But um, no, skins are all various. So it depends where the skin comes from and also what animal it comes from. It depends what it is. So you can get quite anal about it because, I mean, you can get like wolf skins and stuff like that, not as in a wolf, as in, in the forest. I'm on about wolf fish, as in a fish that actually comes from the sort of like Norwegian areas. And this fish is so unique. It's the only fish in the world to actually produce its own antifreeze to survive underwater in the extreme temperatures that it lives in. Wow. And research the wolf fish. They look the most gruesome, horrible fish you could possibly think of. But you can use the wolf fish skins. They're quite a strange fish. It has this huge head with this small body with these massive fangs, but um, they're only used because obviously they're dealing with very cold temperatures. And a lot of the yeah. time they're eating fish that are maybe frozen and stuff. So they need these fish to sort of chew up the frozen fish. Um, right. These fish are obviously in these temperatures in like Norway, Finland, all those sort of areas where it's extremely cold in the winter. It's getting down to like minus 30, 40 plus degrees or obviously worse than that under the water. So these are the only fish in the world that can produce their own antifreeze to survive, wow. um, which, which is quite unique. But again, you know, you can use those skins. Those skins can be used on things like, I don't know, purses, wallets and stuff like that. Very sort of like upper market sort of, um, you know, luxury sort of goods. But it's skins are just so 
different. You know, you've obviously got crusts and stuff like that as well. And veg tan skins, veg tan skins is another one. I mean, that's a very natural skin, but it's made from like cumin and stuff like that or bark extracts um, from mm. trees and plants. So it takes like a year to cure that compared to, you know, like an ordinary leather skin, what we call a pigmented or a corrected grain or a coated leather, which is what you get on most car seats mm-hmm. or on most sort of couches at home. Um, that's called a coated leather. So obviously you've got a leather and then everybody thinks obviously, you know, the, the leather is the color of leather. Well, you don't get bright yellow cows. You don't get pink right. cows. <laughs> you, know, you don't get green cows or blue cows. So obviously the leather is painted. So all most leathers are aniline dyed through first, then they're painted on the surface. So this, you've got the surface of the skin and then the paint sits on the top of that surface. So yeah. that's why when you sort of start seeing things like scuffs as you're getting in and out of vehicles or trucks, on the leather, you've got like bare skin showing through. It's because the color's just worn off. And all you need to do is put that color back on the surface again. Mm. So that's where the yeah. restoration comes in. So things like your veg tan, that's obviously dyed through and it's completely natural. That gets like patina over the years because it, it attracts to sunlight and daylight. So that's obviously a natural because it's dyed with a natural dye rather than a false sort of paint, like a like an acrylic or a polyurethane type paint, um, which is what most modern leathers are. Obviously, the, the, the veg tans are dyed with natural vegetable extracts or like cumin or bark from an oak tree or something like that or leaves and things. So so this is – and I think this is really, really good because people don't – they tend to think of it as, oh, it's just an interior. You know, I just need yeah. some brown leather. Yep. But um, there's so much more to it. And when you – because you do a ton of training. Yes, absolutely. Now, when somebody comes to your training, you're like, let's say, let's take the, the, if I wanted to come and I wanted to start learning how to repair leather, what is the training, the length of the training, and how much knowledge am I going away with from that? Basically, it depends on the course. So we do, like, obviously, we've got a two-day course coming up um, just after SDC um, at Lexington yep. with uh, Daryl's property. Um, with Detail Lex. So that is a two-day course. During that course, that is going to be giving people enough sufficient knowledge to go away to undertake doing leather repairs. Obviously, from there, they've got to start learning and progressing like with any trade that you do. Um, obviously, my trade started off as a vehicle detailer. That's what I first did when I started off when I was like 14 years old. I was cleaning and polishing cars and eventually um, got into, by the time I was like you know, a little bit older, got into the leather side of it um after doing the repairs but i mean i've always been involved with machining cars so i'm always learning all the time with the detailing side so everybody you you never stop learning i'm still learning now about leather you know there's new leathers coming out all the time new technologies there's you know obviously chromium three is the, the the sort of major thing with the leather so that's now changing because a lot of people are trying to get away from the chromium side because it's bad so they're trying to get away to have it chrome free leather which is zeolites and from you know it from the zeology sort of company with the with the zeolite technology which gives you a chrome which gives you a chrome free leather but it's called a it's called a white a wet white rather than a wet blue um which is how most skins are when they're tanned with a chromium tanning so they're called a wet white now and they're tanned with zeolites zeolites is quite a good thing because it's been around for a long time but people didn't really know about it that it could do leather so we train everybody all this knowledge so they understand all of this during that two-day period they obviously get the skill how to color mix, which is the most important part. Doing the repairs is simple. Color mixing is the hardest part. And we obviously have an app on the App Store. We're one of the only com- couple of companies in the world to have an app on the App Store for that, along with a scanning tool to scan your leather. And it gives you a formula. Stick to the formula. And it tells you what paints to use. And you mix that paint. 
And that app is designed to sort of get you 90% of the way there. The rest of it, you just do by eye. But it's trying to guess that from the beginning for somebody that doesn't understand color mixing is very, very hard. Yeah. So, well, and then there's the application of that as well. I mean, you yeah. think about it. When you say painting, I mean, you know, years and years ago when I was probably 14, I, I did a car and sold it. And, uh, you know, man, I thought I was great because I got some interior paint and I shot it on the seats and man, yeah. I thought I was awesome, but that's okay. a different process coming yeah. out of a rattle can than yeah. actually using a spray gun and the proper Absolutely. techniques and actually sanding down the leather and prepping it. So the paint will yeah. stick and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so again, just to reemphasize, you do trainings in the United States. I've yes. had a couple of people yeah. ask us, yes, Richard's yeah. in the United States. He comes in, does the trainings. You have reps here. Um, yep. and you can do that if you're interested in Lexington, Kentucky on it's, what is the sixth and the seventh, seventh of eighth of June in Lexington, yep. Kentucky after, yep. right after SDC. So it's a two for one. You go to Southern Detailers Conference, which stay is awesome. A couple more days, stay a exactly. couple more days, get trained in leather repair and go back a wiser person than you were. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, obviously with the course, they get, people get enough knowledge to go away so that they can, we make sure they go away and they can do the repairs. But what's very important is we have this backup and what we call the aftercare. And we pride ourselves on that aftercare. And we believe we offer the best aftercare in our industry period throughout the world. We do not believe anybody can touch us on that. We have three weekly Zoom calls. You guys yep. have been on that as well. Yeah, we are constantly offering people help and advice all the time. And if people want help and advice, and again, you guys have witnessed this yourselves, we will go and make a video straight away to help those individuals. Yep. And we won't just single out the individual and give it to them. We'll put it in the group so everybody can learn from it. We don't just help one individual and say, forget the rest. Everybody throughout the world is on that and they all get help. And that help is for life. That's awesome. And it is full life. And we will have those three weekly calls. And if people said to me, Richard, I want a little bit of one-on-one, -on -one, can you do that with a Zoom call? Then yes, we will do that. We don't charge. That is all part of our aftercare. We love our industry and we love every customer that comes our way. And we will do anything to help them, anything at all. Yeah. Well, and, and I really appreciated, you know, Rod and I attended the last one and it was really interesting to watch the group come together. Yep. There was one gentleman that was really struggling with the color mixing sure. and, you know, just being so patient and listening to him and giving him advice about going to get the right DeVille tool. DeVille right. Was, and, yeah. and that, and I think a lot of times, you know, people struggle with a product because they don't get the aftercare, right? It. It's like I, um, I'm bringing on a new customer uh, on Rotafest, and yesterday he called me and he's apologizing. I'm like, look, dude, don't apologize. We yeah. are here to help you understand the software and configure it in a way that it'll work best for your business because we have so many settings in the software. A lot of times, you know, it's just – a simple question will enable me in five minutes to go, Hey, let me turn this on or let me change this. Or let me like you, let me record a little video and I'll send it to you and you have access to it as many times as you want. And so I think that aftercare is really, really important. Yeah. Um, right. and, 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 and it's funny because 
there was a, an interesting dynamic at the end of the call where you said, oh, I can do this. And the wife's like, wait a sec, <laughs> you're going to do another one for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's important is that, I mean, my personal assessment is that you really want your people to be successful. That's, I think, one of the exactly. reasons we've yep. we've kind of connected is because that's the same thing we are with with our softwares we want people to be successful it's not just about another dollar and if i have to you know give up 50 bucks here or there i don't care as long as the person's successful exactly um, that, that's what yeah. it is with us. With they, to, to us if they're not successful we're not successful when yeah. i yeah. Not let anybody not be successful everybody that comes my way they will be 100 successful and it's like the guy that was stuck we didn't even train him. He was trained by one of our distributors, you know, and it's like we're still helping him as well as the distributor. So we're all helping. But like on that call, everybody that was on that Zoom call helped that guy yeah. out, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what it's about. You know, we come together. We like we've said, you know, we, there may be hundreds of us around the world, but we're one. We're one family, we're one network, we're one organization, and we're helping each other. Because at the end of the day, these guys are using my products. And like the same with our products, you know, we, when we manufactured these, we, we, we had these, you know, we manufactured these because we wanted the best products in the world. And because we also have franchise owners in England, what I didn't want was people coming to me saying your product has failed because that to me is another headache and another problem. Yeah. yeah. We produce and manufacture the best products in the world guaranteed over anything. And, they do not fail. We've never had our products fail if you use them correctly. Right. That's right. Awesome. And, that's correctly. and you got the training to show them how to use it correctly. Perfect. I think that's what's really important is, you know, when you don't know something, <clears throat> it can be very intimidating. Yes, absolutely. And you don't know how to fix it. And if you do it wrong, you make it worse. Yes. And yeah. I think people just have to, I mean, I think this is the, uh, I'll get on my little soapbox here. I think this is the detailing <laughs> industry, auto reconditioning industry in general. Yeah. A lot of times you need to humble yourself, yes. admit you don't know something and trust somebody that's been doing it a while and then take their advice on how to use the products yeah. Um, and test it out. I mean, one of the things I think is great about those Zoom calls that we're lucky enough to be involved with is you've got all different kinds of environments. Um, yeah. Oh, we got a good question here. Will there be leather cleaner to buy at SDC? Yes. As long yes, as the shipment gets there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as the gets there. That's right. <laughs> and the other thing, Sarah, is come talk to us at our booth there because we can. We will make sure you get it. We will make sure you're successful with, with getting that stuff. But I think that that's the key is trying something out and then taking the opportunity to learn. Um, and it can be frustrating, right? It's very frustrating. Painting is very frustrating. Anybody that's ever picked up an actual paint gun, it can be frustrating. It's just because of the distance you're holding it away from exactly. something yep. and the, the level of spray and, and everything there. So, um, yeah, come to SDC, check out the stuff, learn, go to these trainings. I, I can't emphasize enough people going to these trainings. They're, they're so in they're so unbelievably valuable in the knowledge you pick up and the people that you meet. And, mm. and one of the things I like about those Zoom calls I was saying is the people and the different uh, areas of the world they're in, the gentleman that was yes. in Germany versus yep. the gentleman that's like in a Dubai or something like that, they have such a different humidity and all of that yep. stuff plays into it. It's all a different factor. 
as well as just like the paint on a car when you're polishing it, the leather, depending on the quality of it and where mm -hmm. it's coming from, you know, the leather on the inside of a Volkswagen versus the leather on the inside of a BMW, even though yep. they're both from Germany, completely different. It's a different quality. It's a different yep. product. Mm. And, and this is where this is one of the things that where I will I, I won't get on my soapbox, but it's um, you, you I could quite easily. Um, we get this quite a lot with detailers and this isn't knocking detailers. It's probably the way they've just been taught or been told how to do it. We see so many people saying, I'm just going to do the interior and we are going to steam clean it. Oh, yeah. And detailers are like, we've done this for years. It's safe. No, it isn't safe. You know, you wouldn't get yourself and put yourself with your own body in an acid bath and expect to come out looking good. <laughs> you, know? you would not polish your car with a rotary with a 280 grit sandpaper on it and expect the car to still have paint on it and look good. You, you know, you, you wax that car, you ceramic coat that car. There is a process that is correct for doing that. Mm -hmm. There is a process that is correct for doing leather. And the amount of people that steam leather and shouldn't, and even though you give them advice, and I had this discussion with a guy the other day on one of the groups on Facebook, and this guy was like, I understand you've got a lot of experience, and I take that on board, but I'm not taking your advice, and I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. And I'm like, but there's other people telling you you're doing it wrong, mate. And it's... Yeah, yeah, that that's a tough beast to handle, and and yeah. I think it's you know, I think that's one of the things, especially you know, as we've interacted with you and other people that are very um, skill focused, right? It's more mm -hmm. it's more about trying to understand what I need to do to get the best result for the customer. Right. I think a lot of times we get so rigid in our ways that we're not willing to go, you know, I need to change something about me. Yep. I either need to get additional education. I need yep. to be open to receiving <clears throat> you know, advice from somebody like you and going, you know, I need to I, I need to change. And yeah. it's hard. Right. Because like Rob pointed out, it requires a level of humility to go, all right, if I want to go from here to there, I have to change. The world doesn't change around me, which is exactly. hard yep. when you're as awesome as I am. But, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing is, it's like with leather, though, what people don't realize is, I mean, you're, you're talking like... The, this, obviously, you've got coatings. You've got a primer coat, you've got the paint, and then you've got a lacquer. All these different layers, once you start steam cleaning, you're going to get moisture going between those layers. So you're going to mm. get what they call delamination taking yep. place. Yep. Yeah. Where you may not see, you may look at the leather and you may think once you've steamed it, it looks absolutely fine. But the thing is, what you're doing and what people don't realize is they're putting moisture into these laminated areas. And over a period of time, those they are going to delaminate those layers. And the thing is, after maybe three years, they, they may not see that car again because the customers maybe you know, the clients maybe sold that car on. But the thing is, in th four years time, that may start to break down and delaminate because it's been steam cleaned originally three years prior. Yeah, and that's what people don't understand. And, and the surface coating of the lacquer that goes on the top is five UM, it's five mm. microns. Yeah. A sheet of 80 grams paper is it's like if I remember this right, it's something like. I think a sheet of 80 grams paper is, is something like 100 microns or something. So you can tell how thick the lacquer is and how delicate that coating is. I mean, the paint itself, you're only talking like 15 to 20 microns. It's yeah. microscopic. 
Yeah. And if you're already seeing wear on the seats and yeah. then you hit it with steam, you're definitely, you're injecting yeah. hot moisture into the actual fibers, which are going to affect it. And yeah. And the thing is, you're going to get mold then, because the thing is, mold grows at a penultimate temperature with airflow, with the mm -hmm. ultimate temperature created to get that airflow going through. And um, so this is where people make the mistakes with classic cars and things in winter. They'll, they'll cover all their seats in protection cream, put them away for winter. But what they'll do, first of all, they'll, they'll maybe run the car around the block while it's still dry, you know, get it a good, get the car really nice and hot, leave it in their yard, running for maybe a couple of hours, get the heater on, get all the interior warm, then sticks loads of protection cream on the seats, open the windows a little crack, like an inch or something like that, to allow a bit of air to go through, put a cover on the car, stick it in the garage over wintertime, come to it next year and it's just full of mold because it's got that ultimate temperature from the heat that's generated inside the car when the cover's gone in it because the car's warmed up and the engine's still warm and the water-based products which is the protection cream it's just it's a breeding ground for mold yeah right, right. and they sell little dehumidifiers that are really inexpensive yeah. you can just stick yeah. in the car and it keeps Absolutely. them Absolutely. Charge the battery, put a dehumidifier in there, and do yourself a favor. And the thing is, what they also do, and these are very dangerous, you can get these um, little packs that are like a dehumidifier pack rather than a machine. Yeah. When you put the problem with those is, and we've seen this happen with people, they've put them on the leather seats. And the thing is, those things are designed to pick up moisture. Like our yep. skin, leather has moisture in it. Yeah. Putting them on the leather, it literally shrinks the leather and it literally mm. looks like a 90-year-old person that's been sat in the sun for 90 yeah. years has shriveled. Yep, I can show you the seat on my passenger side of my car that the guy's like, I don't know what happened. And I'm like, I'll tell you what happened. And it, it's actually crunchy. I mean, you you touch it and it 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 it's he shrunk it really bad. So that is that is something I think, you know, just if you haven't picked up anything else from this entire podcast is go get trained on how to properly take care of leather. Especially yeah. with Richard, because I, I didn't even know there was a wolf fish and I love the ocean. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm and it is ugly. It, out, it is so. ugly. Go look up wolf fish. It's going to be a new logo for us. It's a wolf fish with a, you know, polisher in its mouth. So. That, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, but it, I mean, the thing is people, with detailers in the detailing world, I mean, you talk to people and all detailers can talk about is I'm getting the paintwork great, you know, coding the paintwork, the paintwork's going to look like this, the paint's going to look like that. What did you do to the interior? I just gave it a quick back. Yeah. So the most delicate part of that car you didn't attend to? Well, no. The customer wanted the car to be shiny, but the customer's not sat on the hood of the car. They're sat on the seat and they're grabbing the steering wheel where it's covered in germs from the sweat from going like this and grabbing the steering wheel, steering wheels are made from a drop split leather. So they're very, very delicate. Yep. And they're then they're the most microscopic thin because they're made from a drop split because obviously they're stretched around it. And they're the most delicate part of that interior, that and door cards. And your hands are moisture and sweat from, you know, people rubbing their face and they could have just been to the bathroom and they haven't washed their hands and then all of a sudden they've stuck their hands on that steering wheel in that higher car so the next time you get in a higher car you're going to think did the person before me wash their hands and have they just been to the <laughs> so you know you there's all these things that people just it's a breeding ground for diseases and people just forget interiors when it comes to detailing it's yeah. the most important part the car yeah. is always going to look great exterior. They oh, come on. Exterior. You're a germaphobe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that that's great. So 
So we we are going to um we I could talk about this for hours. I love no, listening I, to you talk about like, it and just your description about how you can tell if it's real leather or not, which we'll hold that for another day. If you don't know how to tell if it's real leather or if it's vegan leather or yeah. vinyl, then mm. you need to talk to Richard because yes, there's a really do. easy way to tell. Yep. And there's a big difference, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. there are things that you need to do differently with those two products. So yeah. um, if you have not gotten a hold of Leather Repair Company or Richard, he is all over the internet. You can't find him on Facebook. You're not looking. If you seriously haven't looked and, and haven't found him, get a hold of us and we'll get you in touch with him. Um, and come to the SDC, come to a training, look these guys up because there is a wealth of knowledge and there are fabulous products that you can put on your cars to help your customers as well as yourselves. So we're super excited to see you. We're counting down the days. It's hard yeah. to believe that uh, Southern Detailers Conference is less than five weeks away. Make Good. sure you come to the show. Check yep. out Leather Repair Company. Come see us, Road FS. Uh, Rod and I will be hosting some of the the festivities. Yes, we are going to be the MCs. So. so we're super excited. And uh, you guys that are tuning in, please go connect with Richard. Richard, thank you for being a our guest. And we will well, check you guys same time, next week. same bad channel, just next, next week. week. Yeah. See ya. See ya.